Welcome to the ATS section on medical education podcast on academic writing, title, abstract, and odds and ends. Welcome back, everyone. We'll conclude our academic writing podcast series today with the title and abstract of a scientific paper, its importance, suggesting components and structure, tips to avoid, and end with some general odds and ends that are on my mind for completeness. Typically, the title and abstract are the last things you'll write for a manuscript. The reason being, it allows you to ensure that you draw from the main manuscript when crafting the abstract and ensures that your abstract conforms with the rest of your manuscript. Also, the true title and not the working title becomes easier to articulate once the paper is completed and you really know what it is you want to convey to others. That being said, the title and abstract are the most important parts of your paper. What? We just spent all this time writing the introduction, methods, results, and discussion sections, crafting tables and figures, and now you say the most important part of the paper hasn't even been written yet? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Understand this. Once you submit your manuscript to a journal, an editor is going to look at your title and abstract and make an initial decision to send it out for review or not. Then reviewers are going to read your title and abstract, and in that short expenditure of time, they will form some early thoughts regarding your paper. As a reviewer, when I read a poorly worded title and unfocused abstract, I admit I am less than enthused about reading the manuscript itself. It's about making a favorable first impression. And ultimately, if your paper is accepted, understand that the vast majority of readers are only ever going to read your title and abstract. Only a fraction are going to then invest the time, energy, and potentially money to be able to read your whole article. And as time passes, the main way your article will be accessible is by electronic searches of keywords in your title and abstract. Bottom line, the title and abstract really matter, and so you should spend some quality time writing them. So where to start? So the first thing you want to do is understand whichever journal you're submitting to, their submission requirements and structure, and tailor your title and abstract, just like you did for the individual manuscript sections, to their specifications. Author instructions are your starting point. So let's begin with discussing the title of your paper. What are the necessary elements? What should be in a title? There are a few different models. One is PICO, which stands for Patients, Interventions, Comparisons, and Outcome. So you could think of having those elements in your title. Another is SPICED, which stands for Setting, Population, Intervention, Condition, Endpoints, and Design. So now we're considering some more potential elements. Delving into this a little further, setting. So was this an inpatient or outpatient study, in the home or a particular clinic or emergency department, rural or urban location, tertiary care center versus a community setting, maybe a simulation center? But more importantly, these should be added to the title only if they actually matter. Just because the study occurs in Milwaukee, as long as it is generalizable to other locales, who cares? However, if you're looking at incidents of necrotizing pancreatitis, specifically in a surgical ICU, now the setting of a surgical ICU might be important to the reader. 
Similarly, if you're reproducing a study that had previously done in Ethiopia, maybe United States or the specific city that you're, you're conducting this study at might, might matter. Next is population. The subjects, patients, animals, cell lines that were used in your study, they're obviously germane to your paper and relevant to the reader. Was this a study of healthy volunteers or survivors of the World Trade Center disaster? Maybe guinea pigs or a mouse model? Next is intervention. Was there a therapeutic or preventative intervention? This is typically your independent variable, the thing that you adjusted in the study. It could be a drug or a change in diet or an educational course or anything that is being varied to see the effect. Providing dinner for journal club to see if attendance increases. The C of spiced is condition. This could be the status of the subject, such as guinea pigs placed into septic shock via sequel ligation and puncture, the condition being septic shock. Or end-stage IPF patients on home hospice, the conditions being end-stage disease on home hospice. I also think of condition as the relevant factors that modify the subjects and the interventions, i.e. the relevant conditions under which the study is occurring. E. Endpoints. What was the study designed to measure? Mortality, ventilator-free days, distance on six-minute walk tests, attendance at journal club in my prior example. For a qualitative, a qualitative uh, study, maybe it's measuring attitudes or perceptions. And the last is D for design. So the study type is recommended to be added to the title by both consort and strobe statements. Oftentimes you can place them at the end of your title with a colon and then the study type. So for example, looking at July chest, there's an article titled Use of an Ultra-Thin versus Thin Bronchoscope for Peripheral Pulmonary Lesions, colon, a randomized trial. And this can apply to other study types as well. So you could have your title and then colon, a case-controlled study, or even colon, a mixed method study. So it has applicability to qualitative and mixed methods as well. And although I'm giving you a fairly formulaic algorithm of PICO or SPICED, Understand that these are only a potential list to think about of potential elements of your title. The main thing is to understand the major words, the key words that are emanating from your study. Go through each section of your paper and write down the key words that summarize the topics within each section. If you have difficulty coming up with a term or phrase, you can also do a search on that term in a search database and see what keywords or mesh terms most closely align with what you're trying to say. Remember, your keywords should be words that others will recognize conceptually and be able to index and retrieve on their own searches. So being too specific or esoteric will push readers away instead of inviting them to your study. And if you take the time to write down the keywords that emanate from your paper and your paper sections, you'll see that most of these words are representative of different aspects of the PICO or SPICED models. Also ask yourself, what makes my study unique? Is it the study design, or the setting, or the population, or the actual intervention, or maybe the observed measures? Whatever makes your study unique, that's what you really want in your title. And while you want your title to be engaging, attractive, interesting, in general, the title should be, say, 10 to 12 words in length, no more. No one wants to read a three-line long sentence for a title. Another tip 
is that you want the most important or unique factors of your study front and center. So lead with that at the beginning of your title rather than burying the most important or unique aspects of your paper to the end of the title. Notice from our earlier chest example, use of an ultra-thin versus thin bronchoscope for peripheral pulmonary lesions, colon, a randomized trial. Another possible title could have been a randomized trial of peripheral pulmonary lesion biopsies using an ultra-thin versus thin bronchoscope. What's the difference between these two titles? Well, what is this paper really about? Is the main topic peripheral pulmonary lesions? No, it's about ultra-thin versus thin bronchoscopes. That's the independent variable. That's the interesting and novel part of what the authors are doing and studying, and that's why they lead with these terms. And in contrast, let's look at another recent example on PubMed. The title is A Pilot Randomized Controlled Trial Testing the Feasibility and Acceptability. So, so far we're halfway into the title, and I, I have no idea what it's even talking about yet. But anyways, A Pilot Randomized Controlled Trial Testing the Feasibility and Acceptability of a System Change Intervention to Improve Medication Adherence in Older Adult Stroke Survivors. So given what we've talked about, let's see if we can do a little bit better. So how about instead a title like this? A system change intervention to improve medication adherence in older adult stroke survivors, colon, a pilot randomized controlled trial. Besides the fact that I don't think we really need feasibility and acceptability in there, the point is that this moves all the major keywords up to the front, to the beginning of the title. We hit system change intervention. We hit improving medication adherence, the dependent variable. Uh, we have the population, older adult stroke survivors. But all of this is in the first half of the title. And then you can always talk about, after the colon, the study methodology as well. Okay, so let's move on. In general, there are considered three different title types. The first being the interrogative title, which asks the question, is drug A better than drug B for patients with this disease state? Interrogative titles are better for commentaries, opinion pieces, editorials. While titles with questions in them are downloaded more often, they are cited less often, and in general can come across as sensationalistic. For example, if I title my paper, Have We Found a Cure for Cancer? Question mark. Well, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will be interested in reading more and looking further at my paper. However, when they find out it's a trial of combination therapy versus standard care for patients with a particular cancer that resulted in a small benefit in mortality, that's still a very good paper and finding and should be published, but it's overshadowed by the title, which many will find disingenuous and sensationalistic. The second title type is declarative, which states the main study findings positively or negatively, something like frequent hand washing reduces nosocomial C. diff infection in a transplant unit. The caveats of presenting it that way are number one, you're providing the punchline already, the results in the title, which might make it potentially less interesting to actually read the rest of your paper because you already have the results. Two, it also could suggest a bit of a bias to your study, as though you've made concrete conclusions from your data, as opposed to presenting your data more impartially. And three, you have to remember that your study is just one study at the end of the day. Rather than being so definitive of the implications of your study, typically our results point to a signal that needs to be further studied in different populations, different settings, with larger or more sampling. 
causality versus association is always an issue. And so in general, most academic writing practices will advise that you use the third title type, which is the neutral title, which is more descriptive of the study. We can repurpose the last title and remove reduces and instead say something like frequent hand-washing and nosocomial C. diff infection in a transplant unit, or frequent hand-washing impact on nosocomial C. diff infection in a transplant unit. This way, you still have the keywords, and it's understood you're looking at a relationship between hand-washing and nosocomial infection, but without engendering any biases. Titles can also be categorized as nominal, where the main themes of the study are articulated, a full sentence, or compound like we discussed before with use of a colon. And you could use compound structure to delineate, to delineate study type like we discussed. It can also be used if you're initially trying to separate a clever or creative title with a more substantive information. For example, twice bitten, once cured, colon, a case of bacteria A and B co-infection after scorpion bite. So in the first part, is designed to create some interest or evoke something more emotional, and the latter to convey the specific information. Only caveat I would say is to keep the first part short. I've seen ones where nearly a whole Shakespearean quote starts the title, and it just comes across as trying too hard and uh, potentially a bit of a joke instead of a serious manuscript. So the last thing I'll say about titles in regards to tips to avoid will be to avoid acronyms unless they are very common, such as HIV or AIDS, If your title is TBI and cardiac arrest response, colon, a randomized controlled trial, I'm thinking traumatic brain injury? Wow, how does that fit together with cardiac arrest? I'm intrigued. Then I read your intro, and it defines TBI as team-based initiative. Well, that's a bit annoying. So don't make up your own acronyms and expect the rest of the world to know them. And the first time you do use an acronym or abbreviation, spell out all the words for the reader. Okay. So we've talked about titles, their importance in interesting the reader, some thoughts on content and structuring the title, and some tips for success. Now let's turn our attention to the abstract. So with the abstract for your paper, I'm really talking about the structured abstract form, which is typically somewhere around 200 to 300 words and has specific headings, something like background or intro, methods, results, and conclusions. So it's really like a microcosm of your actual manuscript. And you can draw from your actual paper to fill in these sections. So intro or background should be brief, but needs to articulate the need for the study, its relevance, and some minimal background information to place the study in context, and most importantly, delineate the study objectives or questions. The methods, what was done in order to answer the research questions. This includes study design, sampling, interventions, data collection, and data analysis. Results. What were the results or findings from your study? This includes the number of subjects, major results and findings with p-values, confidence intervals, effect sizes. And as such, this is where you want to spend most of your word limit. And conclusions. This is the take-home message or implications emanating from your study. Now, some tips I would give you is, one, try and avoid the passive voice as much as possible. And it's better to choose more active voice Second is don't overstate the implications of your results. So overreaching conclusions are easy to spot by discerning readers. 
And third, remember to have someone outside of your study read your abstract, particularly looking for missing information not contained in your abstract, which is common. It happens because they are trying to cut down the text, trying to be concise with your word limit, and you start um, missing some key information that's uh, relevant to the reader. And second, also looking for information not contained in your manuscript. So, right, sometimes you extraneously add in some information that you, that was never in your results or in your discussion. And so you want to make sure that you read through that and make sure it is really coming and being drawn from your actual manuscript. Okay, so let's move on to some odds and ends for completeness and, uh, you know, some things that are kind of on my mind in the area of academic writing. First, as I've said all throughout the series, have a journal in mind as you write your manuscript and closely follow their author instructions. Second, once you're done writing the manuscript, see if the different sections are aligned together, that the study purpose or aims lead logically to the research questions, which leads to the methodology, that the reported results are the answers to the established research questions, and that your implications flow logically from what was found. You're trying to tell a cohesive and consistent story. Third, have someone read your manuscript not associated with your study. A fresh pair of eyes is great for checking for clarity of the message and picking up errors when they're not so close to the trees to miss the forest. Fourth, one of the most difficult things with writing a manuscript is logistical in nature. It's hard to find the time and can, fi- and can feel like a daunting task, particularly at the start. Get into some good writing habits. One tip I've been given in the past is to write a little bit every day rather than blocking off days at a time. The reason being that there's an inertia related to writing. When you haven't been writing your manuscript for a little while, it takes some time to get back into that flow, whereas if you've been writing every day, it's easier to sustain your thinking. With honesty, though, I find this difficult to do, so do as I say and not as I do. Also, get into writing routines. Set up your space, set a regular time, same chair and desk, your favorite cup of uh, uh, coffee, etc. So routines can be helpful to help initiate that writing process. Another tip is to set mini deadlines. We all work under deadlines, and it's so easy to put off writing for something else that pops up. We have to value and recognize writing time as important. It needs to be budgeted into our schedules. And if you set some artificial deadlines for writing each section, that can help to spur you on and motivate you. Also, consider group or pair writing. You shouldn't have to write the whole first draft alone. Then it becomes a daunting task. Instead, you could work in pairs, known as yoking, which is often seen with computer programmers writing code, or use a shared document where different authors of your group can work on different sections of the paper. This way, you can each visibly see the progress that each other are making. Another tip I received in the past is that once you complete your manuscript, sleep on it for maybe a week. You've been in the weeds of the paper for a while, and that pause can help you relook at your manuscript after that week with some fresh eyes. It's not often that you catch a mistake or decide to slightly change your wording in a section for further clarity of message. The last thing on my mind is rejections. It happens. You submit your manuscript, did all this hard work, and you get an email notice back saying there are major revisions necessary, or the paper is just flatly being rejected. That's okay. It's happened to all of us many times. 
The main thing is not to be defensive, but rather look over the feedback from the rejection and try and improve and revise your manuscript to take into consideration this feedback. Maybe some information was not collected and you you can't do anything about it retrospectively. That's okay. Just acknowledge it in your limitations section. And understand it may take multiple revisions of your paper in order to find it at home. Don't be discouraged, but rather congratulate yourself on completing a manuscript and look at the feedback as a positive in order to improve your manuscript. And on that optimistic and hopeful point, I'll end this podcast and our series on academic writing. Hopefully you found this useful. Best of luck and happy writing. Thanks for listening. Look for more ATS section on medical education podcasts in the near future.